Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, on this last Monday of August, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on my journey of conversations plus connections equals community. And this this is a perfect example because my guest today is Jamie Alshul. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And 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 what I meant when I said to our listeners this those three C's that I talked about is that our conversation today does have a connection and does have a community because we are both members of the Playa Venice Sunrise Rotary, which we are so proud to be associated with, and we are also members of the LAX Coastal Chamber of Commerce, which is another wonderful community that we are invited involved with, and they're both very meaningful to both of us, and I think that that's what happens when you start speaking to people, you realize in our case we actually live in the same community and belong to similar organizations. Other times, Jamie, what happens is they, people, my guests might live in another part of the country, but we have those conversations, connections, and community. But today what we're going to be talking about is what you do and why you do it. And I thought we could start off by having you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Well, thank you. First, I I do want to just say how much I love being a part of the Playa Venice Sunrise Rotary. I mean, the Rotary is all about helping people in our own community and us all rising up together. And the LAX Coastal Chamber is very much the same in terms of our little community of business owners and principals and just everyone who is a part of that chamber is a part of our neighborhood. And I just think, you know, it's two grassroots organizations that really reach out and work collaboratively to support people that live in our area and beyond. So, um, I'm so glad to know you through those both. And, you know, to introduce myself, I would say I am a native Angelino. So I grew up here in L.A., so I love diversity and the L.A. community in general. And I grew up in the San Fernando Valley when my parents were were married back in the day and grew up with my brother, Eric, and I went to um, school here in Los Angeles. I I started off at Magic Years Preschool (laughs) and then moved on to uh, Merman School from first grade to sixth grade, which was a wonderful little school in the Valley 
that, you know, really prepared me for my next school, which was another rigorous school um, called Westlake School for Girls. It wasn't in Westlake. It was in Bel Air. And it was a private school for all girls that actually, a couple years after I graduated Westlake, they merged with our brother's school, Harvard, to become Harvard Westlake School. So shout out to my ladies that went to Westlake School for Girls. It was a great learning environment, great community, and um, yeah, it's a very special place. And then where did you go on to college? I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder and spent a really magical four years there and then went to on to the University of San Diego some years later to get my teaching credential. And, um, yeah, been involved with a lot of schools as a student and then later as a teacher and as a educational consultant and a coach. Well, you know, that that's a, that's a really interesting segue because our – um, journeys are not we're not are not the same, and I know what kind of student I was, and I what I'm curious to know is th- this is this is a really like you mentioned that was a very rigorous school that your your school uh, Westlake School for Girls is a very well respected school, and so what I'm curious to know about you is what kind of a student were you in those days before you went on to college. Well, what I would say about myself as a student is that I was like a mid-level performer, not a high-level performer. I mean, in in my group of students, in the grades that I, you know, where I attended school, I was very much in the middle, not at the top at all. And in fact, I would say that homework and studying was sort of the bane of my existence. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I didn't want uh-huh. to come home and do that. And, you know, I do have, I, I've always had a love for school and a love for teachers. Like I loved being in the classroom and learning. I loved participating and raising my hand. I loved literature and I loved writing. But math was a challenge for me. And, you know, I, like I said, School work was not high on my list of loves or priorities. So it's Mm -hmm. pretty ironic that I actually founded and continue with this company that really is all about helping students with that at-home time after school because it was was tough for me to get through it myself. That's that's so. What would you so? Would you say that that's what drew you into the uh, world of education? Was that you kind of knew the student that you were, and and perhaps that's why you did. Is that one of the reasons you chose to go into that field? Maybe unconsciously, <laughs> I would say that what what drew me to education as a field was I loved to explore uh, other countries, other places. I wanted to live abroad. That was just something I knew about myself that I wanted to, after college, I wanted to move to another country. And after, I was like, how am I going to support myself doing this? And 
teaching seems like a really logical, um, productive, and meaningful path to take to support myself as I traveled. And not just traveled, really, but lived other places. So I really was drawn into education as a career because it made sense for me as somebody who wanted to live in other countries. That's fascinating. So when you say that you you wanted to travel and explore other countries, did that mean that also as well as having your education, were you bilingual? Did you speak other languages? Did you go to places where everyone spoke English? I wish I I wish I spoke other languages fluently, but I studied a couple years of French early in my education and then more years of Spanish and then growing up in Los Angeles, I had a small base for understanding Spanish just because we have a lot of Spanish speaking people who live in our community. But the first country that I moved to out of college to live was Japan. And I had never taken one class in Japanese, didn't know Japanese at all. And when I moved to Japan in 1992, there were not a ton of English speakers there. And all the signs are in Japanese and kanji. And I, you know, was baby again. Like I couldn't read. I couldn't talk to people. Like it was a huge learning curve for me to live in this new environment. But I, I wanted to challenge myself. And that's, that's why I took on the challenge of living in Tokyo. Did you teach English as a second language there? Is that what you would have, is that, or were you, or at this point, were you a traveler only? I was, a, I did become a teacher. I got, um, I worked at de- several different places. I didn't, you know, it, it was kind of more typical for somebody at my stage in life to go with a program to go to Japan, but mm-hmm. it turned out that my dad had a couple connections in Japan. So when I landed in Tokyo, I went and stayed with a work friend of his for, I would say, about a week until I found a gaijin house, which is like a house for foreigners to stay in. And I ended up getting jobs at a junior college for women, um, at a business, a, a Japanese you know, business that wanted to teach English as a second language to its employees and some one-on-one coaching jobs with Japanese students who wanted to study for the GRE. Wow. That's, 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 I can see why that worked for you. And, and then you came back and did you, did you have one other stop along the way before you came back? I did, but not to teach. I I stopped. I lived in Thailand for like a month just Mm -hmm. as kind of like a transitional time from this like very high stress, high level working environment to like come back to America. I just took like a month and lived in a hut in Thailand, you know, just, you know, reading and enjoying myself and getting ready to come back to America. That's interesting. So you came back, and then you started teaching in the Los Angeles area. Is that was that your introduction into your education as a as a teacher here? It was a little more winding than that. I ended up, <laughs> you know, working in restaurants, and 
I moved to Park City, Utah to ski, be a ski bum and ended up, you know, working in bars and restaurants there. But once, once I had done that for a little while, I really found my way back to teaching. And that's when I went to the University of San Diego to get my teaching credential. So I, I got my teaching credential. And from there, interestingly, I was in one of my lecture halls and the principal of a school from North Africa came to talk to us and potentially interview interested applicants to be a teacher in North Africa, in Tunisia. And I interviewed the next day and I got the position. So pretty soon, right after my teaching credential, I moved to North Africa, Tunisia, and taught there my first real, like, paid job as a teacher to American students, because it was the American Cooperative School of Tunis that I taught at, and I taught junior, senior level students, and it was such a fantastic experience. Those kids are incredible. That it was, it was, it couldn't have gotten any better in terms of like a, a real introduction to what teaching can be like. Well, that's, that's uh, as somebody that's been. I didn't go to Tunisia, but I have been to Africa, and there's, it's indescribable. You did, but you did teach in LA before you opened up your business. Is that right? Yeah. When I I left Tunisia and I came back to the to Los Angeles, and for a short while I taught at a, a Jewish school in Northridge, and then I moved on to uh, New Roads School in Santa Monica, where I taught seventh grade for two years, and. During my time teaching middle school, I was also working with students one-on-one, kind of like after school in the homes. So I got this interesting view of being a front-of-the-classroom teacher, being the teacher to, you know, assign homework and have lectures and expecting kids to take notes. And then I saw the other end of what that looks like when a student goes home and sits at their desk and has to review those notes and study for those tests and complete that homework. So I really got a very holistic view of what it looked like for a student and then also for parents having to support those students. Sure. And that was really the foundation. That was like the foundation that had me years later create academic success. So let's so let's talk about academic success. Tell us tell us about the how that all happened and when you opened and the process behind it. Well, I was like I mentioned I was working um as a middle school teacher and working with students after school in their homes and I I realized that working with students one-on-one was really where the joy was for me. I mean, I loved, you know, guiding a class of students through, you know, certain literature and teaching about the basics of writing. But working one-on-one, I just got to completely really be myself, Uh relax. We got to laugh a lot. Uh And I really began to understand the world of being a student now in a way that I had forgotten myself because, you know, 
we grow up and we forget what it's like to be a kid and to be a student. Yes, it's, I, I think that's true. So you, when, when did you open your, your doors? When did that all begin for you? Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, that's so fine. I, I was, I'm just curious. I was, uh, I decided to move, like, I, I, I stopped teaching full-time, and I turned my attention to just working with students after school inside the home. And it was lifestyle-wise, it was amazing to make that change for myself. And in terms of, like, the joy and where I, what I was getting out of it as an educator, it was super fulfilling. So in 2004, I mean, I was working with students on my own, just not, not as a, like a company per se, but just as an individual. Mm-hmm. And then in 2004, I started academic success. And that's when I started to look out there for other coaches like myself that I could train in what I understood to be important in the world of one-on-one coaching and set them up with kids so that also because I'm not, you know, my strength is not high-level math or science, I needed other people who could fill in those gaps for kids Uh that needed that. So I began to slowly build a coaching staff and get everything started in 2004. Nice. That sounds, that's, I can I can see I know for myself that I certainly was of coaching my kids through their math and science and you know you 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 know it's if it's your goal if it's your children's goal if it's the parent's goal that you want your kids to go on to college you don't start thinking about that in the 11th grade and and I was one of those parents that was I'm fortunate enough not to be working while my kids were in school, and I was very involved in the academic process at my children's public schools here in Westchester. So I got an I got an interesting bird's eye view into what it took to be those teachers, what it took to be those students, and what it meant to me as well. And that it it sounds like. In some ways, you have that same kind of partnership when you think about your business in academic success. It it really sounds to me like a very um, authentic partnership. And I, what what would you what, if I was to say to you, could you could you just sum up what would you say the company's purpose is? I think I know, but what what would you like the, our listeners to know? You know, our company's purpose from like, you know, if I was to step back and look at a distance is really to support students and families through this trajectory of school. Like there is so, there are so many hills and valleys when it comes to school and parents oftentimes are, they didn't have school occur to them in the way that it's occurring for their for their children, for their children, they are, their, their own experience of school was different. So it's new to a lot of parents, the different standardized tests that kids have to take the, the application process to school, and then just being in school and the way students are learning math now, and the way that they are approaching the humanities may not be the way parents approached it. So they feel very out of their depths a lot. And so 
if I'm really to take a step back, it's really to support students and families with this whole school path. And then, of course, I also want to support the coaches that work with academic success in supplying part-time meaningful work that they can make great money and also make a difference for these kids because they make such a difference. I mean, you're, oftentimes our coaches are just, they become really important parts of the family team. You know, they're invited to holidays and future <laughs> events and, you know, because they're really valued within the structure of the the team behind the family. So it's the, my bigger purpose is to support families, but I would also say from an educational perspective, my purpose is to support kids in the whole learning process, which is how to be organized, time managed, how to prioritize their work. Because when they have those pieces in place, the rest of it is going to be made much more simple because we can certainly help kids with math, science, foreign language, writing, whatever it may be. But if the foundation underneath it Mm -hmm. with organization, time management, and how to stay on top of things isn't looked at, then we might be working cross purposes for a long time. You know, it's so interesting about what you said. I believe you said, you know, those key elements were being organized, time management, and prioritized. Were those those the three that you mentioned? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, while you're you're assisting families and students doing that, I can apply that to myself, that to be successful, I need to be organized. I need to be able to manage my time management, and I need to be able to prioritize. And I think that when you start putting those words and thoughts into young people's minds that become just a part of their everyday vocabulary, like what am I? What's my priority today? Okay, I know that today is the day that I do this, and so how am I going to do this if I have to do that? Those are life skills. The, the education is 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 not merely how did you do in school, but how are you going to navigate the waters after school? And these Absolutely. these beginning elements are just tremendous. And we are living like I need to point this out, but we are living in uncertain times more than any of us can ever remember that are alive today. And I'm just curious. We can't talk about education and not bring up the elephant. So how how are you responding <laughs> in your business to COVID-19? Because I'm sure it's changed in, in many ways. It It has fully changed how we do business. I mean, our old model was one-on-one in the home. And um, myself and coaches on academic success staff, we would travel to the homes and work with kids at the home office or at the kitchen table or the bedroom office, whatever, wherever it was. And that was our model for 15 years. And then COVID happened. And overnight, we moved. And we were already working with students virtually 
using FaceTime or Zoom or the conference call. Like there were many different Skype. We would do a lot of different platforms working with students because there were sometimes we would work with students who were not in Los Angeles, different parts of the country, sometimes internationally. But it was still not the main part The you know, 90% of our business was one-on-one in the home. So we overnight switched over to Zoom. And every all the coaches were working with the kids in Zoom. And over the last six months, a lot of great new tools have come on the marketplace. You know, when it comes to math, we use virtual whiteboards and are able to really guide students very particularly through math. And because of shared screens, we can, like, do detailed line readings of text and all different kinds of material together. And the biggest surprise to me was how beautifully one-on-one works from a Zoom, you know, standpoint. I I just – it really threw me – it took me by surprise. Uh And – so we have totally transitioned to that that style of. I I love that, and just on a personal note, for you and I, you and I have both done our Rotary Club now for months on Zoom early in the morning. Yep. We were just yep. on a phenomenal Zoom um, chamber mixer last week on Zoom, um, and. You know, not everybody comes to technology the same way. Not everybody uses the same kind of platforms. Not everybody uses a desktop. Not everybody uses or a laptop. Maybe somebody's doing it on their iPad or their Chromebook or whatever has been provided to them. But the bottom line is is that we have become a resilient country because children aren't going to say, well, you know, we're just going to skip education for this year and you guys just go out and bounce the ball because that isn't going to work. And so if that's not going to work, where well, we're going to go say bounce the ball for the next year, what are we going to do? And I know that for, you know, because the school year was in place when this happened, and I have friends that are school teachers, one particular teaches kindergarten, you know, it's yeah. not a PK class, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you mm. keep a four-year-old, you know, that maybe yeah. want to play, wants to play a game on their iPad, but they sure don't want yeah. to, like, learn to read. Um, so it's, it's, it's challenging regardless of what the grade level has been, and I think it's tremendous Frankly, you you had said earlier, and I I was really happy to hear this, and I was not aware of this, that even prior to COVID, you were already providing Skype. You know, Zoom wasn't even probably around when you were first Skyping, um, and getting information to students that didn't live in the greater Los Angeles area where you could not go one-on-one. I I am curious to know, how how many coaches do you currently have? We have seven coaches on staff, including myself. Okay, wow, that's that's really uh, that's that's tremendous. Have you found that in the process of all of this that there have been some silver linings to your life and to your business as a result of COVID? Yes, absolutely, and and I do want to distinguish something. Um, sure. Listen, I I have. I was a full-time teacher, and I know the world of it, 
and I have to really take my hat off to schools, administrators, teachers, the whole the whole game of what makes a school work, the fact that really within very little time last spring, they had to completely change their whole way of instruction and working with kids. And, you know, not that there weren't bumps along the road, but I was, you know, globally impressed by right. schools and how they dealt with this big change. And now we're starting our, our new year in 2020, fall of 2020. It's beginning for many students this week. Some students even began two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're like better prepared, more knowledgeable, more ready to, to work with kids in this distance learning environment. But I do want to distinguish distance learning with what we do, which is, you know, working on Zoom one-on-one because uh-huh. it really is different than distance learning. When, when teachers have to work with a whole classroom of students in this portal, all sorts of challenges come up that can be mitigated when they're in person that are very difficult to mitigate when somebody is like in their living room, especially for the little guys, pre-K, K, first grade, second grade. I mean, I just really, I've always loved teachers. I've always loved administrators because I know the, the heart that goes into the work that they do, but especially now, I mean, they're just on the cutting edge of what's next and but when we work one on one after school or like during school breaks sometimes we get one on one time it's very different we get to it's like it feels like we're sitting right next to that student and we are working right with them one on one they get all of our attention they get all of us and it's not you know the same thing with distance learning you know and so our one-on-one situation, I feel like it is a huge silver lining because it actually allows us to work more effectively than working one-on-one in the home, which I know sounds bananas, especially to my ears. But I have found it to be incredibly effective, and it allows the coaches, you know, they don't have to fight L.A. traffic going from house to house and waste all that time and energy and the stress of it but they can really dig in and work with these kids and make a huge difference with them. Yes, as I I when you say that that sounds so logical to me which I wouldn't have thought of. It's like people that are not doing what you do for a living but are working from home in their insurance company or whatever it is that they do. And we know in Los Angeles you could be living in one part of the city, but to get to your job could take you an hour and a half to get there one way. Same coming home. There's three hours that are lost. Exactly. And so – and. Because the quality of Zoom, as we both know, whether whether we've done it, you know, where there's three pages of us or one page of us, the the ability to look at one another on real time is yeah. exceptional, and I like it so much better than FaceTime and some of these other um, opportunities. Zoom is is about as personal as you can be 
from a distance. I, I can't think of anything yeah. better. So I certainly can see where that is an absolute silver lining. What do you what do you expect from this academic year? Do you I mean, we're still living in the land of uncertainty, right? Yep. Yeah. What do I expect? So wow, I mean the way the world is kind of like the shifting landscape <clears throat> over the past year. I think all of us in the whole country were were a bit shell shocked with just mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of amazing, powerful, meaningful work being done, you know, from a social standpoint, from a civil rights standpoint, from like this new experience called a global pandemic, which like you mentioned earlier, we've never experienced in our lifetimes or in our grandparents' lifetimes. Um, You know, this is, we are in a new world. So what do I expect from education this year? Here in Los Angeles, I do not think anyone is going back to physically being at school. The earliest is after the winter holiday, the earliest. And, and in order to make that work, we have to see the numbers consistently go down in Los Angeles for many, many weeks in a row. And that's just not happening quite yet here we are at August 31st. We're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. And I hope that we grow in that direction, but we don't know. We don't know if this winter is going to be tougher. We just, we don't know. But my prediction is certainly not before, you know, we come back from winter holiday, which is like early January, and then we'll see. I mean, if if I'm just listening to my intuition, I would say we're not going back to school this year. Right. Um, but I, but I do think we're going back to school next year. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my, you know, don't hold me to it. prediction. No. Is that no more, we're not going to be doing in-person school this year, but that we will be next year. That is, that is what I think. That's your gut. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know, we'll see. I would, I would say the same thing that, you know, that would be my gut reaction that mm-hmm. because there are so many excellent things in place now. Now, it's not easy. You know, if you're a mom and dad with two, three kids in your house and you're both oh working my gosh. home no. and yeah. somebody yeah. needs to change the diaper and somebody needs to help Junior with the second grade math, you know, that's yeah. not to say that there aren't difficulties because there are or two kids in middle school two kids in middle school with like you know two parents that work you know right out of the home i mean there are endless scenarios that are challenging families and pushing them to create new structures of support for themselves for their kids like really i and i do think all of those new structures have silver linings involved with them i think mm-hmm. the way we are being stretched as a society is going to end us up in a much more resilient place but it is it is really challenging for people all over you know right now for sure right can you just imagine what these 10 year olds are going to be saying to their children you know <laughs> 25 years from now, like, you aren't going to believe this. And you know what? And they're not. Any more than I understood what it was like to live through the Depression. I wasn't here. I did not experience that. So I don't know hands-on what that's like. 
but I do think that there's been some kind of interesting things that we're hearing about words that are you know it's it's kind of like zoom you know that's what I do with my camera you know but now we're hearing about a word called pods well I always thought that, that that's what peace came in but uh but it has a new <laughs> meaning that also has a new meaning so let's just touch a little bit briefly on what what are these learning pods and what what does that mean Great, great question. So about a month ago, Gavin Newsom, you know, made the call that LAUSD was not going to go back in session, at least not right away. So what there was like a little flurry or a fury and a flurry (laughs) among parents and families because they had these, you know, rather traumatizing experiences last spring with distance learning, especially when they've got younger students. Um, You know, if you even have two parents working from home, it's still super tough because some of these kids need to be, um, have eyes on them during these distance learning opportunities, you know. So parents, even ones who don't have to work outside the home and are working from home, are not feeling like they are able to do both, monitor their children and get their work done. So there was a flurry, and there still is, of parents putting together academic learning pods, P-O-D-S. And what that looks like is, you know, parents really putting together homeschools for themselves and their kids and maybe a couple other families joining those pods with similarly aged students and then hiring teachers or teacher to work with these students. And maybe they are, you know, maybe one family has like a really nice backyard with a, you know, outdoor environment that can be cleaned and socially distanced. And so basically a learning pod is like a, a little mini school that parents are putting together in the home and trying to, you know, kind of mimic a school environment to the best of their ability, an in-person learning school environment. You know, I didn't know that. And if you would have asked me what I thought that the learning pod was, this is I would have been wrong. I didn't I thought that pods were like, okay, so on Monday Susie's mom is gonna do it and on Tuesday Joey's mom is gonna do it and Wednesday's Steve's dad is gonna do it. But these are not educators. These are just like just trying to help children get through their math or their writing an essay or, or whatever it is. So if I understood what you said is that are they actually pulling into these pods credentialed or substitute teacher oh well they're credentialed but i mean credentialed teachers are actually coming into these you know i've i've got my hand like you could see them in quotes pods is that is that who is teaching these courses well you know here's here's the catch is yes. that we have a lot of families who are trying to make this happen and um you know talk to any school administrator and talk to them about the difficulties of making any school work. And myself, 
as, you know, a worker for academic success, as a coach in my own company, I have gone to homes and done homeschools before. And under any circumstance, they can be challenging. They can be challenging from an academic learning standpoint. They can be challenging from a personality standpoint because you have multiple families with multiple different needs. You know, it, having the right space is really important. And then what you said, Marsha, is like, hey, are these credentialed teachers? Are they, who are these people? And what is their background? And, you know, there's so many questions when it comes to, you know, what I would say when it comes to these, these pods is that there's going to be more examples everywhere along the, the spectrum in terms of the quality of them, the safety of them, and the effectiveness of them. Um, I completely understand the drive to create them, especially for these parents that we've been talking about, which who really feel like their kids are missing something with this distance learning. Like there is like this need to be fulfilled, but in terms of their effectiveness, safety, and overall, you know, how much are our kids going to really get and not get there? The the question is an open one. This Mm -hmm. we shall see, we shall see, and it'll be different from family to family, from pod to pod. Um, What I would say is right now with the pandemic uh, being what it is, no one in my particular organization, academic success is doing any in-person work. We're just, we're not taking that risk ourselves to, you know, for myself, I'm not going to take that risk to expose myself to, you know, a student, their family, you know, the, the home environment. And um, I don't want my coaches to risk that either, nor do I want them to bring any COVID into a home. You know, right. there's a lot of concern there in terms of keeping everyone safe for me, for me, it's not an, to do in-person learning right now, not an option. I, I just want to ask one more follow-up to the pod thing. So, yeah. So let's just say on your on your block, um, maybe you have fourth you have a fourth grader, and your next door neighbor goes to public school, and two doors down that neighbor goes to parochial school. And, you know, mm-hmm. across the street has got a brother and a sister, blah, blah, blah. Is it up to the individual? There, I mean, it's not like somebody has to organize it. Somebody has to organize oh, that yeah. pod. I'm trying to visualize oh, yeah. as somebody that was a, truly, I mean this, I, I don't mean to boast about myself, but I was an absolute parent leader. People would be would have been looking to me like, how are we going to make this happen? And it's like, well, I, let's right. see, my brother's an art teacher. I suppose he could teach. He did, he did think that writing was critical to teaching art in middle school. Could he teach math? I don't think so. I mean, maybe because you had to measure sometimes in art, so there there was some <laughs> math. He, he he honestly he really did bring academics into his art class. As I'm thinking about that, and including writing essays, you know, in middle school about art. 
but um i i just i I just feel for the families that are really struggling, and I'm just wondering if 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 I was listening right now, whether I'm that parent or maybe I'm the grandparent. Um, what advice would you give to parents that are struggling right now with this distant uh, learning? Is there any takeaway advice that you would recommend? Such a good question, Marcia. Um, and not an easy answer, I'm it, guessing. No, no, it's certainly not because, you know, first of all, every student's and every parent's situation is going to be unique to them. So if you have a group of families that all have fourth grade age children, let's say, and you want to create a pod with those three families who all have fourth grade age children, you know, there is somebody that has to be in charge of this, that has to be in charge of finding appropriate teachers, paying appropriate salary, what are we going to do about insurance? What are we going to do about COVID testing? What are we going to do about rain? What are we going to do about, you know, uncomfortable circumstances, either, you know, if, if, out, if outdoors, which is we know the safest for not passing COVID back and forth, but what if it's uncomfortable at times to be outside? And, you know, there's so many things. And then if you're working with multiple teachers, what are those teachers doing outside of their teaching hours that might be bringing COVID into the home? And if you're working with multiple families, with kids from multiple families, each separate family, do they all have agreements on how they're going, their protocol of how they're going to behave during the pandemic? And so, I mean, we've got, like, the teaching that has to get handled. We have the safety issue that has to get handled. We have insurance. We have, excuse me, so many different issues that come to the surface when creating this kind of, you know, proper learning environment, fun learning environment. I mean, it's, it's a big challenge. So I look forward to seeing in the coming weeks and months how these pods are going and if they're still in existence or if they gave it a try and then found whichever challenges weren't worth the ongoing work that they take to maintain and the kids, you know, started to filter back into their classes and doing distance learning. We shall see. So so to understand the vocabulary, especially since, I, like I mentioned, I don't have grandchildren and children in school. When we talk about distant distance learning, distant learning, yeah. keeping our yeah. distance, it seems to be the big word right now and we're <laughs> distant from our families when there's there's we're we haven't even talked about the social and the mental side of all right. of this. Right. But for those parents that are not doing pods, they're not you know, they're not bringing in that 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 teacher to come in these small groups and now their children that let's use those fourth graders as an example those fourth graders are doing their class via zoom how do parents help those children what advice would you give those parents as to help helping their children navigate that type of learning on on zoom okay great so the first 
most important thing, you know, you're in this time of distance learning where kids are basically logging on to whatever device, they're logging on to whatever device, and then they are, you know, basically transported into the classroom in a virtual way. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is remember that your home is now a school. So when it comes to, and this is something I would say even to parents, you know, under regular circumstances, the place where your child does their work, it's really essential that it be in a nice temperature in the way that that is best for them. And, and having said this, I know as these words are coming out of my mouth, I know that mm-hmm. not everyone's situation can they afford mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. like have a separate learning environment for their child. But under, you know, I'm just going to say in general, whatever you can do within your own circumstances to make the most convenient, well laid out, learning environment for your child, having their desk really make sense, having their chair that they use to sit in all those hours of the day, having that chair be very comfortable and, you know, having water, snacks, keeping the pet out of that space so that it's not, you know, a constant source of distraction, although maybe a little distraction is okay. Maybe a little like bending down and petting your dog or, or petting your cat is actually, you know, going to help a student stay on board with their studying. But I would say really taking a look, a really close look at their learning environment, their desk, their chair, the temperature, what they have at easy reach, making sure the Wi-Fi is really great. And then, you know, trying to, like, just check in on them every now and then. Hopefully you don't have to hover. Hopefully Uh you can, as a parent, you can do your own thing and just kind of keep popping your head in without having to, like, literally hover over the situation. Um, Another uh, thing... Mm-hmm. Go, go right ahead. You, you no, no, no. You, you, made, you, made, you made me think of something. The helicopter parents takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I would say I wanted to just throw in there, you, you mentioned a lot about environment. I think the other, yeah. the other thing that I know you didn't say, but I'm sure you would, in, you would agree, lighting is important too. Absolutely. You have to be in lighting. a good Right. You have to be in making you, sure Making sure your, your child has, like, appropriate, like, uh, headset or pods or whatever it is so that they can hear um, what's happening, that they can take notes easily from where they are, that they everything's kind of, you know, an arm's length away that they need at any given time to be comfortable, to be well-situated so that they can focus during those times where they need to focus. So, like, really taking a look at the environment is, like, the first thing. Um Second thing I would say is like, and this is about up-leveling their general health, making sure that your kids are getting movement, that they're getting a chance to walk around, to run around, to play, to, you know, maybe it can be like a, a family activity where like at certain times of the day you go for walks in your neighborhood with your kid or you, you know, walk the dog together or you, um, Getting movement into the day, maybe starting the day a little bit earlier 
doing some, you know, going into the backyard and doing like 15 minutes of stretching and strengthening just to get the day started. Um, Have the kids really do what they would normally do in terms of like hygiene, shower, put on fresh clothes, sit as they would and, and have their sleep patterns mimic what they would be if they were going to physical school, like making sure that they're getting a good night's rest, making sure that they are getting up like an hour before, for sure, an hour before they have to sign in so that they get a chance to like move their body, to stretch, to have some breakfast, to take a shower if needed. Maybe they take a shower at night, but just to like feel like them putting themselves together a bit to be ready for their school day. What I heard you say, and I think that these these ideas are so valuable. What I'm hearing and what I'm visualizing in your in your great description is really a mimic of what you would have if your child was leaving the house. So, and but but because they there's recess at school, there's PE yes. at school, you yes. know, there's socializing at school. And yes. <laughs> a lot of these things are not yes. happening. So hard. And it, right. And, but if you haven't had your breakfast, if you haven't gotten some fresh air, if you're still in your pajamas, is your mind? Uh, how is mom and dad working from home in their pajamas? I mean, maybe they are. Right. And if they are, right. then why wouldn't you be? But right. you know, if you if you see your job as a student to be what I just heard myself say, in quotes, a job. If you see it your job, your responsibility, to be the best fourth grader you could be or the best best 11th grader you could be, granted, if you're like my daughter in high school, you will not be doing any plays on stage. You will not be performing. Mm. If you were in the marching mm. band, guess what? If you were playing, if you were the number one basketball player in your high school, guess what? Those things sadly, have had to take a step back. But there are other ways of finding those outlets because without that, mental health will continue to seriously be a huge problem for all of the families, you know. And and I don't – I personally, I try to limit how much news I watch, frankly, but I don't think that there's enough focus on mental health on um, 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 supporting our immune system, getting enough yep. water, getting enough fresh air. Granted, we have to be in our masks, but please, you can go into your own backyard and take in a deep breath and exhale that out. You know, so and if you don't live in a backyard and you can go in the middle of your street and do it, you know, we we have to be so mindful, not only of our children, but frankly, of ourselves. If we're not leading by examples, if we're never showering, if we're never eating, mm-hmm. if we are mm-hmm. stressed to the max, what are our kids are watching us more now than ever. When they were in school for four or five hours, six hours a day, they weren't watching us. They're watching yeah. us now. And we have a responsibility. That's why it's a whole family, it's a whole family up-leveling this situation. Because, you know, for adults, too, it's been like, oh, my gosh, I don't need to, like, put on this uncomfortable work outfit. I can be more comfortable. I can just put on, like, a, 
a nice looking shirt and mm-hmm. be presentable on Zoom. But but this is about a real up up leveling for all the family. Like maybe there are going to be some silver linings here to be found because if with everyone working and studying from home, new family traditions are going to take place, whether that comes to walking the neighborhood together, walking the dogs together, doing some outdoor exercises together, getting more into gardening, getting more into cooking from home, having different responsibilities around the house, like really changing our home environment where we all used to kind of be like our own little vessels leaving the house in the morning and then returning in the late afternoon or early evening. Now we're all in it together. So we are having to create whole new structures and some of those structures are going to be amazing and they're going to really support families. And, but I do want to touch on what you said in terms of mental health, because, you know, it is a huge concern right now that students who their whole lives are based around their social connections to each other. And now that so many of those connections have been, altered or broken or just, you know, look completely different than how they used to, it can really be a tough spot emotionally for kids. And I think that, you know, that is something for us as a nation to look at, you know, is like, how do we deal with mental health difficulties? How do we support people? How do we take the, you know, taboo out of it and really just embrace each other for all of what we are, which is not always just happy, positive people. You know, how do we support each other through all of it? And I think it's great that you brought it up. Well, I I can tell you one thing. There's been two words that I've been hearing a lot lately. One of them is pivot and pivoting. Yeah. It's like, really? Yeah. All right. I thought a pivot is, a, is something you do in basketball, but I've learned that it has another meaning. <laughs> but the yeah. new word that I learned from you today is up-leveling. I have never heard yeah. that term before. And I want to thank you mm-hmm. for giving me an, a new way of of thinking. And, and let us not get away from the end of this show without something that is extremely important, which is, okay, so I'm in. I've got, okay, how many hands up in the air? How many of you want to know more about how to find out about this? So let me tell you, everybody, you definitely want to go to to the website. And the website is called Academic Success Coaches. And it's it's spelled, it's all one word, Academic Success Coaches, ES.com. And not only that, but you are, you are all over social media just like I am. Where, where other areas can people find you? I am. I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page, which is also kind of mixed in with a few more. It's business and personal, so you can mm-hmm. see my face and, you know, see me, like, doing rotary stuff, like mm-hmm. when we did ha- working for Habitat for Humanity, or I'll put those pictures on my Instagram as well. Um, we have a Twitter, we are on LinkedIn, um, but so it's really all the, you know, sort of standard social spots we have presence there. And it's and you academic know, success 
coaches, yeah. And and also your phone number is present. I'm looking at your website, and I know that you will take a call. And if you don't get to yeah. it immediately, you will get to it because you're a, you're a 24-7 lady. I didn't even get to ask you what you do for fun, although I know you do Pilates. <laughs> but, you know, so there there is um, an email address, which is just info at academicsuccesscoaches.com. You are very visible, and I think that, and and while, you know, Business has certainly has a new face for you, and you were saying earlier at the beginning of the show that you had already been doing some uh, services that, for people outside the Los Angeles area. Because this is a podcast, because people live all over, what I'm hoping for you, Jamie, is that people that are listening in other places that's children that children may be struggling maybe they need some help with an AP class maybe they need somebody to explain algebra to their kid because they don't really remember how to do it maybe it's something as simple as punk could somebody please read this essay and help edit it for me because is it do I say who or do I say that you know whatever that might be <laughs> yeah. you know I mean I could use that kind of assistance I just I want to thank you so much for the services that you are providing for families that are listening today. I can tell, I know this about you, is it's because it's your passion. It's it's what you are about at your core. And that comes across so clearly. And that's why I, I loved having you on my show today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Marsha. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, a pleasure to be on your show, and I know that your intention with your show is to support others, and I consider myself grateful and honored to be, you know, chosen by you to, you know, to talk about my company and I just really appreciate who you are out in the world and how you support others well that's a kind gift and what my mother-in-law bless her heart would say Marcia just say thank you don't try and talk <laughs> the person out of the gift they just gave you so thank you that I, I could a, use that advice myself I could use that oh, advice myself absolutely gosh. That's what she used to say, Jamie, all the time. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. She said, Marsha, simply say thank you. I I shared that with Brady last year, one of our fellow Rotarians, when people were saying things to him. And I remember sitting next to him at an event, and I mentioned that about my mother-in-law, who I just loved to pieces. And I would say, she would just say to me, Marsha, just say thank you. He said, oh, I'm going to use that. We can all learn that. So let that be the takeaway lesson today. And so thank you, Jamie. Have a wonderful afternoon. Everybody, you have a great afternoon as well. I'm going to have another wonderful show next week with a yogi and a spiritual leader. She's going to be phoning in from Hawaii. Her name is Jenny Lee. And this is a privilege, and and I see it that way. So until next time, everybody, have a wonderful week, and thanks once again for joining me this week. Bye for now.